Hey everybody, Adrian here, one of the co-hosts of Sidebar Forever, the new version of the former Sidebar Pop Culture Podcast. Every month, Sidebar Forever posts brand new episodes discussing and examining pop culture and art-related topics. However, as a bonus and a reminder to listeners who followed us in our previous incarnation, we're representing some of our vintage back episodes. Many of our classic interviews and roundtables will once again be available in our podcast feed. So, please enjoy this back episode from the Barchives, and don't forget to subscribe to Sidebar Forever on SidebarForever.com, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or anywhere else you get your podcast. And hey, follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you don't miss a single new episode of Sidebar Forever. Welcome back to the show, folks. And today, we've got an insightful interview we conducted with animator and comic artist, Eric Kennedy. Eric's background as an artist in animation started when he was just 17. And when you look at his resume, it's pretty freaking impressive. X-Men, Aeon Flux, E-Man, Starship Troopers, Batman, Justice League, Legion, and Ben 10 are just a few of the shows he's worked on. His comics work is equally as nice. He started out at DC, Wildstorm, and Image, and he just finished a killer Iron Man series, Enter the Mandarin, with writer Joe Casey. We caught up with Kennedy at his home in LA, and he was pretty candid and open about everything, so we won't spoil it here. Check him out online at kennedy.blogspot.com and be sure to look for his upcoming run on Rick Remender's The End League from Dark Horse. Really beautiful stuff. Let's join the conversation in progress with E describing his early days growing up in the Philippines. I was uh, born in uh, Cebu City, Philippines. I lived there until I was about... uh I think 12 or 13, like I said, okay. I got a failing memory, and then I came here to the United States um, uh, around fourth grade. So wh- how old would that make me? I don't even know. That's, uh, that's nine years rough. old? Ten years old? Oh, Jesus. There you go. So yeah. I was here since I was about, yeah, yeah around there. Okay. How decrepit a guy are you now? Like, how old are you now? I'm uh, I'm a, thir- God, good Lord, man, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I've lied about it so many times, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, no, I was about... I'm turning 34 this year. Okay, awesome. Cool. Okay. Cool, man. Okay. So I've been here for quite a chunk of change, always in California. I've never gone anywhere else in the United States. Okay. Uh, north of California, I stayed there for a little bit, maybe around eight, maybe nine months at most, working on the Aeon Flux cartoon. But okay. short of that, I've always been in Southern California. Okay. Okay. Um, and you read comics as a kid uh, before you moved from the Philippines to the U.S., and then you read more comics, more U.S. comics, I guess, once you got here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my comic exposure to the Philippines in the Philippines was very limited. All I had was what my cousins had, my older cousins had, and their step uh, and their father uh, bound it all in a hardbound book. Mm. And because of that format, it was it was coveted stuff. You know, I couldn't right. look through it because I'm a five year old irresponsible child. I'd as sooner right. hiss on it and wipe my boogers on it. Right. Than take care of it you know? <laughs> So it was extremely limited, and I remember seeing my first comic book, uh, American-wise, like uh, Secret Wars, and I can't even remember what issue it was, but I must have traded my lunch money for it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I just remember just being in love with that whole four-color process, and that's what kind of planted the seed. Outside of that, Philippines, the Philippines themselves are known for publishing really, really great fantasy-oriented comics, so I was into that for a while. 
whatever my uh, my weekly allowance would allow for. And then finally, when I came to the United States, my stepfather took me into a uh, it's a funny little bookstore. It's right down the street from me. Actually, it's still from where I live now, which is one-third of it was used paperback books. Is what my dad, my stepfather, used to do was go in there, trade in old trade paperback books, pull out new ones, and then mm-hmm. that whole process would start over as soon as he finished the mm-hmm. set that he pulled out previously. That's one-third. The other third of the store was uh, comic books. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was like all these, yeah, all these comic books. But the last third was all of these porn magazines. I was going to that. <laughs> and I remember the porn magazines were towards the end of the comic book aisle, and I think that's the reason why I picked up X-Men first. You know right. what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I scooped my way to the end of the alphabet right. for the aisle where the uh, Playboys that's were. That's a funny so. story. That's there a funny you story. go. Right. There, there's a, to, to, to give you a little insight uh, to some of my, my background, not intentionally, but when I was in, in Savannah in school, they actually uh-huh. had a, the bookstore there has a comic section, and in the background, they had a, a porn section. Right. There you, go. you know, I'm like, okay. But of course, they had, it was sealed off and whatnot. But I was right. kind of, you know, kind of curious that they would allow that be so close to children. You know, oh, where yeah, sure. Obviously, this guy that your father took you to what had had comics as well as you know uh, adult, regular adult books novels, and, and adult, then yeah, you know, he so at least kind of, bridged the gap. Right. You know? He kind of went from one to ten. You know, where yeah, exactly. this guy's just like, okay, here's one and here's ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know what, folks? If you ever saw this play, he wouldn't be surprised. It's like he was seedy as hell. <laughs> but I got my comic book fixed there. This was a good place because I remember the guy. Uh, I got to a kick where all I would do was buy number ones because I thought, well, number ones are going to cost money someday. You know, right. they're going to be worth money someday. Right. And this guy, I remember buying a whole bundle of number ones, and he's like, why are you buying all this shit? Now, mind you, he could have just let me walk out of the store, you know, picked right. up his 7 or $8. But I remember him telling me, uh, you know, you should go really pick up uh, Dark Knight Returns. Okay. Oh, okay. which was up okay. on the wall, you know what I mean? It was like all these all these comics that were, you know, higher in price from right. like X-Men versus Teen Titans, you know, these high-end comic books that were really had a good price tag on them. Mm-hmm. And I told him all I had was $7, mm-hmm. you okay. know. Okay. And uh he told me, "Listen, I'll spot you the whatever rest it was, but if you end up keeping it, you got to come back and pay for it. If not, wow. come just come back and give me back the book." That's oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's yeah, rare. <laughs> that's what really started me. I think that's one of my earliest memories of just reading decent comics instead of just the garbage that I was picking up for a buck and a half every time I went there. Okay. okay, that's cool. Okay, now your cousin Ferdinand is an artist too, right? He is. He okay. is, yeah. He was the guy that lit the fire under my ass in the Philippines because I just remember I would draw something and, uh, man, he would just draw it a hundred times better. Okay. <laughs> you know, anything that I would draw, he would just make look prettier. And I remember he's the one that really got me going into uh, the line of thing like, wow, you can really draw beautiful women. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that was about. All I knew was Linda Carter. You know, she'd spin around in place and suddenly right. I'd feel yes. funny in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, my I got the warm these, fuzzies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My cousin would draw these beautiful, beautiful women, almost like fashion illustrations, and that's what really cued me into, wow, it's more than just Star Wars and, and superheroes. So he mm-hmm. gave it a, a, another added dimension, and he also, I think, the guy who got me started on my competitive nature as far as drawing is concerned. Mm. Okay, okay. Interesting. Okay. And you got to the U.S., I guess you said, somewhere between, I guess we're estimating, between 10 and 12 years old. Right? Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. And at 17, right before you got out of high school, you actually started doing ghost work for X-Men and Exo Squad. Yeah, I did. I did. That was a weird thing. My mom, uh, you know, was working as an administrator in the hospital. And I think a friend of hers whose brother-in-law was working full-time in the animation industry uh, lived right across the street from them. 
And, yeah, she, she kind of got me in there. And the first thing that the guy asked me on the phone before I went to go visit with him was, do you have a portfolio? And I was like, yeah, I'm 17. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> what, what's a portfolio? <laughs> Is that like a wallet with pictures in it? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, are you just, Only bigger. Can you just take my word for it? I can draw, I promise, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I went over to his place, and I showed him the stuff. From there, I just started ghost, ghosting stuff for him. But it got kind of weird uh, towards the end of my tenure with that fellow because it was obvious as many jobs as he was picking up freelance, he wasn't doing it all himself. So okay. sometimes we'd get – it was really flattering because we'd get requests from the different shows that we were working on, and they'd specifically ask for me, but they wouldn't know me by name. Right. They'd say the, the tech guy, the guy that draws, like, cool tech. You know? Okay, okay. And I thought, that's well, cool. I, I could deal with that, I guess. You right. Know? Well, not, and that's where, that's where I got my start in animation. As a matter of fact, it was that guy leaving his full-time position at this one company um, working on this uh, uh, little-known cartoon called Phantom 2040, which is a, is a spin-off of the, uh, the Phantom franchise, you know, right. the right. to walk. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So they they had a cartoon about that. He left, and that was my very first gig in in uh, in animation. He okay. left. They needed somebody to fill his spot, and I guess they had known enough about me um, through my freelance work that they said, "Well, I guess it would be a natural fit." Okay, uh, now, now let me stop you there, Eric. So you weren't necessarily pursuing animation, but this fellow who who your your was a friend of your mom's, or he yeah. And yeah. she just heard, and he and she said, "Well, hey, my son draws," and then she just put you two together, and that was That's it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My okay. portfolio, uh, that same portfolio, the terrible one, consisted of nothing but terrible uh, apings of Jim Lee images. Okay, okay. It was just bad, man. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm talking about just the worst kind of clone you'd ever seen in your life, and not even using the proper tools to imitate it correctly, you know, like ballpoint pen and such. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so it was bad. It was okay. bad. I don't, I don't, whatever you have in your guys' head right now, how bad it is, just make it a hundred times worse, and we're going to get in the ballpark of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a comics guy. I, okay. I really, really badly wanted to be a comics guy, and it just... Just, you know, that was the image boom was going on back then, or I think towards the end of uh, the the main Marvel guys' tenure, and they were just forming up image. So I, that really just planted a seed in my head, like, oh, wow, this can be viable. So yeah. so for you, it was it was Jim Lee and guys like McFarlane and Sylvester, those kind of It was specifically Jim Lee. Okay. It was specifically Jim Lee. Seeing his Uncanny X-Men run uh, just really blew my mind. And right, eventually right. the uh, adjectiveless X-Men run really, really sold it for me that that's what I wanted to do for a living. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, looking back now, I just wasn't good enough. I wouldn't have been able to cut it. Okay. And you're essentially self-taught, right? You have no formal training? Uh, short of, like, art school from high school? No, no. Okay. I, uh, much like, like I, I'm going to keep going back to this analogy, but, like, my art career, my, my job career, I've fallen ev- ass backwards into everything, man. Okay. Uh, get, <laughs> I would get a gig. I would, um, you know, an in-house gig someplace. And I've just been fortunate enough to have the people who are there who have had the experience actually take the time out to explain stuff to me. Right. Um, everything from perspective to design to just character design, that kind of bit in animation. And that was really great. I, I remember having the work experience here in L.A. the um, first time that I got a job. Everybody's so overprotective about the stuff that they did because they knew they're, you know, I guess these specific individuals, and I can't get into names, first of all, because I can't remember and I would just be rude, you know? Okay. But I, but I can't, I just remember them being so overprotective of the stuff that they knew. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd ask them, well, why are you storyboarding it like this? Or why did you do that character design that way? Why did you do that background design that mm-hmm. way? What did you use to render it? And they would just give me the most superficial and obviously just truncated answers because. 
they knew that if you give this young 17, 18-year-old kid a shot, he might end up taking your spot. Right, right, right. right. You know, and, and that's understandable. And then I got the Aeon Flux gig and had to move up to San Francisco for a while. And Aeon Flux wasn't done, um, oh, obviously, it's not done in L.A., it was done in, in San Francisco, but more so it was done in a house that had that was producing other stuff like commercials and bumpers right. for MTV and right. all of these other properties like Burger King and all that kind of stuff. So when I got up there, the biggest change, and I think my saving grace, was the fact that in every office that I went into or in every department, those guys were more than happy to share. Ah, okay. That was a surprising okay. thing. I remember, you know, talking to the first time that I – it's okay to name dropping your show, right? I won't come up. Oh, yeah, sure. Nah, no, no, no. We're going to do it, so you might as well. Sure. <laughs> I, know. Exactly. I, I remember uh, Peter Chung, the guy who created um, Flex. Yeah, the first right. time that, he, he, we were, uh, that I moved up there, and I'm, you got to imagine I'm a maybe 18-, 19-year-old kid okay. on my own at San Francisco for about eight months awesome. working on this show that I absolutely loved. Um, he was just so open about everything, would take the time to explain each and every single thing, and that was – across the board, what those guys were doing over there. This place called Colossal Pictures. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, I would go into every department, and I just remember they were doing a papier-mâché Burger King commercial. I don't know if you guys remember this far back where the, the burger would crush into a ball and pop out and yeah. it would be like something. Yeah, right? I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> It would be a monster truck. They were doing that while I was there. Okay, and I was cool. like, hey, what are you guys doing? And it's like, oh, well, you know, stop doing stop-motion animation on this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. You want to try it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why right. not? Right. I mean, I don't know if they ended up using anything that I did, but the fact was they'd let, they'd let that happen. And that really allowed me to grow as an illustrator, to grow as a designer. Eric, let me ask you something. Do you think that uh, your experience with uh, Peter Chung, and you said it was Colossal Studios? Mm-hmm. Colossal you, Pictures. Colossal Pictures. Do you think mm-hmm. that your experience there was different from your beginnings with, uh, with, with the first place that, that you started working at because of the spirit of Peter, or do you think it's because they were doing more than one thing and so people didn't have that kind of uh, closed, closed in, like you're saying, being, prote- over, being overprotective thing going on? You know, I don't honestly. It, that's a really, really good question, and I don't know what it is. I always kind of accredited it to the work, um, uh, the way they work up north. Okay. You know, the, okay. their working habits over in San Francisco. Sure, uh, there was a couple times when there would be guys who um, just be kicking up, kicking back outside, taking a smoke break for like three hours, four hours, or whatever. <laughs> it is. But, that's I mean, a lung cancer when, break, Eric. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> But when the red light turned on, they were all at their desk grinding it out. So okay. they, they were responsible enough to get their work done. It was just a really laid-back kind of okay. attitude, which I don't know really if it mixed with what Peter, because Peter is kind of like, he likes to keep his nose to the grindstone. He likes working. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that really gelled with him, but the product, ultimately, the proof is in what came out. And exactly. it yeah. an amazing show. So. Yeah, much so, yeah. With, with with comics being, I guess, your first love um, and animation happening first, were you always in the back of your mind thinking, okay, I'm going to get back to comic books, I'm going to get back to comic books? Well, you know, I did, as a matter of fact. I, I you know, I, what did I do? I finished Aeon Flux, right? Mm-hmm. And based on this one article, that same article that spelled my name incorrectly okay. and spelled it, it, you know, in an Italian type of, uh, uh, in an Italian spelling, mm-hmm. um, I got a call from Glenn Danzig. Yeah, right. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So Danzig gave me a call and said, hey, how would you like to draw this Aeon Fluxish style 
that you've been doing for Aeon Flux and put it into one of my comics. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, right. not knowing what I was getting into. And then I got to see his lineup, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to show this to my parents. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so he, he had, for example, some of the titles were like like Igrat and Satanica and Albino yeah, Spider. Exactly. And- <laughs> those, those titles in specific. I mean, I, I still get those people coming up to my table today and, like, showing me some of that stuff. I'm like, oh, God, really? Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I'm not talking it down, mind you. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, for what it – from when I, for when I broke in, I mean, imagine that was still, uh, you know, image was still going pretty hot back then. And the, the fact that I'm sitting behind a table during that time, it was magical. Mm-hmm. I really thought, wow, I've really made it, and I've, I'm really, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm behind the curtain now, that kind of a deal. And I, I don't know if I would have traded that for anything because the experience was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Now that um, and, now, and, now you were doing comics for Glenn, right? Obviously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Right. I just want to be clear on that. And to kind of yeah. go back to Peter Chung again, the characters that were designed, were you doing the character designs, or were you doing were you, you doing storyboards or, or animation? I was doing, uh, he brought me up there to do background designs first and foremost. It's the it's the funniest thing after the um, after the the Phantom Twenty Forty show ended, I was in free fall for a while. I actually looked into a local community college, thinking to myself, "Well, I'm going to have to do that, right? right. You know, learn some learn a trade." Mm-hmm. And then uh, just before that uh, that show ended, I went to San Diego with a buddy of mine and showed my portfolio on, and I was doing that Aeon Flux style, you okay. know, that really ultra skinny, just this you know mm-hmm. grotesque, mm-hmm. emaciated looks on people. Right. Angular, you know, extreme style, this extreme mm-hmm. angle style. But, but balletic, but cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I didn't know what I was doing back then. Come on, you guys. I'm just giving myself way too much credit. <laughs> I took I took the superficial look of the Aeon Flux style and applied it to things like Wildcats, you know. And okay. uh, I just got shot down left and right at San Diego. Okay. okay. Oh my God, man! It was it was disheartening. It was almost depressing. And then uh, that friend that I was telling you about that I went there, he was this kid that was maybe three years younger than I was, and they were just falling all over themselves inviting him to dinner because he had so much of that, that clone uh, built into his work. Right, know? right. And, uh, I, yeah, I just remember being depressed coming back to L.A. from San Diego and just uh, and just thinking, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to go, you know, I wonder what Burger King pays per hour nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh, my, my phone rings, uh-huh. and it's Peter Chung. That's, okay. that's how and I said, uh, you know, hey, you, he says, do you want to come work on uh, Aeon Flux? One condition, you got to move up to San Francisco to do it. And to this day, I don't think he's ever told me how he got my hands on how he got his hands on my portfolio. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that's cool. So man. yeah, yeah. So uh, so after Aeon Flux, uh, you started working for Glenn Danzig on is it Veritic? Was that the name of Verotic. the uh, Verotic. 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 Okay. She's Verotic and she's looking. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> little Kraftwerk reference yeah. there. <laughs> Um, okay, so after after you worked for Danzig, did you – now, when did Wildstorm come into the picture? Wildstorm came in uh, – it happened after I, I came back to animation from comics, and then I did stuff for Sony on Men in Black and Godzilla mm-hmm. and Starship Troopers. Okay. And I left there because I got my first professional comic book gig. Okay. Um, doing Superman, a backup story for a Superman thing, and I thought, oh, this is it. You okay, know? so DC was actually first. DC okay. was my very first mainstream published work, and okay. I remember uh, that was the year I really prepared my portfolio, tried to put a, a prettier polish on all the stuff that I was showing, mm-hmm. and showing it to, uh, it's funny because I listened to that Mark Chiarello interview first be- uh, that you guys did, because mm-hmm. he was the guy that essentially gave me my job in comics. 
Oh, once again, Mark Chiarello. Yeah, six the, ro- of separation. the road to yeah. hot artists always leads back to Mark Chiarello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I mean, to this day, I will preach that. You know, okay. there's three guys that you need to get in your corner as far as if you want to get a legitimate job in comics, and it shows that you have, your work is legitimate. One is Mark Chiarello, two is Jim Lee, and three is Bob Shrek. You get those three guys okay. vying for your work, you're almost, that door becomes so wide open. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Okay, we concur. <laughs> between Mark Chiarello and Dave Johnson. Okay, right, right. That was the con that I showed Mark Chiarello stuff, and he said, you know, yeah, you know what, when I get back to New York, uh, yeah, you're going to get a call. And I thought, whatever. Whatever, it's con talk. (laughs) Exactly. And, uh, yeah, two days exactly. Two days exactly after the weekend, a lady by the name of Maureen McTeague, and God bless her, I don't know what she's doing now, but she gave me a call and gave me a backup story with that ugly, ugly, non-Superman style. They gave me a Superman story. So right. that was incredible. <laughs> right. And Dave Johnson, I think that entire con, I was such a huge fan of his Super Patriot run, and I think it was right around the time that he was trying to finish up everything for Superman Red Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, I would give him a portfolio at his table. He'd, he'd blow up over it, like, oh, my God, this is so good. What are you doing now? Blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, and we wouldn't see each other, you know, the rest of the day. The next day, I'd come back just to see what was up. It's like, hey, you got to give me another portfolio. And at first, I thought, damn, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't actually the case. It was because he ended up giving it to an editor. Oh wow! Oh, that's that's awesome. I hire this kid now. I want a portfolio for myself. I'm going to get another one from him. You know, cool. I think he must have done that maybe three, four times that entire weekend. So <laughs> oh wow! Okay, he, he didn't was, tell you he what you were doing. Instrumental in right. getting my stuff around, getting getting work about, or getting the the word out about me. Okay, that's okay. cool. So DC, and then yeah, and then I did such a terrible and so i quit animation which is the worst mistake i ever did and on my way out i must have burned every bridge because i was just burned out okay. i just i wasn't smart enough to go hey listen maybe this isn't what i want to do anymore let me just step away without pissing people off no i miss assignments i miss deadlines and i remember um going into wild storm because they gave me some some fill-in issue for gen active i think it was i did one of the mm. things in there okay um oh actually joe casey there you go. Okay, the writer from uh, from Iron Man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Joe Casey and I worked uh, for the first time on a book called Mr. Majestic for Wildstorm. Yeah. Okay. I was coming into um, sub for uh, Ed McGinnis after he did his run, and again, just alienating people left and right with a style that I was doing back then based on what Ed McGinnis had done previously. Right. And uh, yeah, and Joe asked me to do Mr. Majestic. That's how my my relationship started with Wildstorm. And I started visiting the studio because it wasn't that too far, uh, too far away, maybe two hours away from here. And that's when I run, ran into my dear good friend Dustin Wynn, and that's when Dustin was being hired as a full-time in-house guy there. Okay. And I, they were, they were tell, you know, he was a golden child. They loved him. They didn't know what the hell to do with me. But, you know, I, I, was, I was begging for an in-house job. You know, right. I said, yeah, I'll do whatever you guys want. I think it was through Dustin's, like, yeah, give the kid a gig. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. Um, I got I kind of got lumped in with him. Okay. Okay. So that's when I started working in house at Wildstorm. I think it was we were driving from L.A. to San Diego every day for like three or four days straight out of the week. Wow. And we would just yeah switch off back and forth and carpool and stuff. Okay. But yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was those were great times. Jim, that was when Jim wasn't in the in his office anymore. He was actually in the pit with us. Okay. And uh, wow. I just remember he's like one door down. I referred back to you know when I was a senior in high school, and I thought to myself, 
whose life am I living right, right. now? Right. <laughs> I'm in the presence of greatness. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, right, right. I think Jim was working on Hush at that point. Oh, okay. With, and uh, that just blew my mind. Went to go over to his desk and look at the stuff that he was working on and just go, good Lord, that is the that is a great looking Batman. Right. right, right. <laughs> it was. So, yeah, yeah. And that was a great time. Bermejo was in there. Um, cool. Ali Garza was in there. Richard Friend, Sandro, Trevor Scott. I think I don't know if, if Carlos DeAnda had had come back yet, but mm. it was a good group of people, really awesome. creative, and I understand why. If you're a young artist, what a great environment that is to just get you, you get you motivated, kind of light the proverbial fire under your ass to start drawing and start getting good. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, now let let me pause you there, uh, Eric. Um, and and I'm gonna kind of jump ahead a little bit and, and then come back to to right right where we are. So don't sure. get dizzy. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I tend to be a bit of a long talker, so bear with me one second. But sure. When when we met you at SCAD back yeah. in February and we yeah. s- we sat in the round with you and Andrew Robinson and Yuko Shimizu and James Jean, uh-huh. you implied some pretty candid things about your past in terms of uh, misperceptions and 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 things like that about career and professionalism. And you mentioned specifically your gig at Wildstorm. Uh-huh, at at uh-huh. that time, I don't know if you remember where you were going with that, but I was going to ask you if you if you could if you could give us some clarity on what you were inferring there. Cause oh, you, sure, sure. Okay. Uh, I I think, and, and again, that was like February. So right. the fact that I can remember that far back, I right. think it's like a gold star. But um, <laughs> you have a gold star. I, what I was referring to is the fact that I wasn't paying attention to deadlines back then, mm-hmm. which is which is automatic death. Okay. That is as far as your professionalism is concerned. I, that's, I think that's what I was speaking to, and as far as the students that I was uh, that were at SCAD, mm-hmm. uh, my experience is that once you get into some place, it's not just, you know, the victory isn't just getting your foot in the door and finally getting a seat and getting a table. You actually have to show up now. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you 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 are now in the NBA. You're not there to look pretty. You're there to score points. You know. Right. Right. So. So for me, I think I was missing that. I was missing that key ingredient, which is just because you're in here doesn't mean everything is automatic. You have to work. You know, you have to pay attention. There are deadlines. Um, And because I was missing those deadlines, because I wasn't fast enough, that directly affected my financial situation here at home. You know, you don't produce pages. You don't get paid. You don't pay for your house. You don't pay for your bills. So everything is tied very, very tightly, at least for me, uh, to how I handled myself professionally, okay, and what a terrible climb it was um, back into animation because that same attitude is what I left animation with, which I don't care. You know, I don't have. I'm always professional. I just didn't say, listen, I'm not interested in doing animation anymore. Quit giving me work because I just know I'm going to miss my deadlines. So you know, it was a terrible climb back to try to get an animation gig again. I think that's what I was referring to. Wildstorm just kind of got lumped in there. No, well, and that's that's kind of what kind of what I thought you meant. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, at the time, you, you couldn't really get into into greater detail. But so so when you how did you end up leaving Wildstorm and then going back into animation? Oh, okay, yeah, the um, uh, or I comics, see, I should say, more more specifically. Leaving. Yeah, I, it was those. Um, I was talking to you about the financial hardships that I went through because I couldn't meet those deadlines. I, you know, honestly, I just wasn't fast enough. Okay. I could not produce those pages uh, fast enough for myself and, more importantly, fast enough for Wildstorm's schedule. Right. But uh, in doing so, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't get those bills paid. You know, you don't do pages, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't get paid. Right. So um, it just started to get really, really bad here at home to the point where I was like, well, I need to get, start getting going getting back into a place where that's going to pay me on a weekly basis regardless of my output right. but 
you know, and that's when animation came in, and that is when really my bad professionalism came to, came back and bit me in the ass because nobody would touch me. Right. Oh wow! Uh, nobody would even look in my direction then. So, uh, just luckily, a few of the guys that used to be at the same—if uh, there's levels in animation—we all broke in at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And while I was away doing comic books or whatever, by the time I came back and started on my knees begging for a job, some of these guys were actually holding positions where they were in hiring, uh, in position where they can hire people, like an art coordinator or something like uh, yeah, that. Yeah, an art director, yeah. you know, a, you know, executive, you know, executive producer, that kind of a thing. And one of them gave me a job. Um, I didn't know how to storyboard. I oh, God, I didn't have any clue how to storyboard. And I just remember this guy named uh, Jay Oliva. Okay. Jay says, "Well, you, you draw a lot of comics. It's kind of like storyboarding." Yeah, come on in. And that's when I ended up working. <laughs> on, you know, that's when I ended up working on um, He Man. Okay. Right? Okay. The, the relaunch of that cartoon, and okay. that's that's really what got me back. Uh, how I refer to it as the road to recovery, as far as my perspective is concerned as far as my attitude towards work and deadlines and my professionalism. So ever since then, I just I just cupped my professionalism like the last drop of water in the desert, you know. I hear you. That's okay. a smart way to go. Okay, so now, now following your track, so you, you, you ran, a, ran on a bit of hard times, and then you ended up getting back into animation. Yeah. So starting with He-Man, and then I guess every progressive job came, they came after that. That's it, yeah. Okay, and now in terms of you coming back to comics, because I don't know if this is like in – in animation, out of animation, in comics, back into animation, and now back into comics again. But yeah. how, how did you end up wanting to get back into comics, you know, after, you know, establishing yourself, reestablishing your, your reputation in animation? Um, doing storyboards, uh, because, you know, some of these storyboard panels, especially because I got to be known as the, the action sequence guy. Okay. Yeah. You know, my, I mean, I'm ter- I guess so. I wasn't very good as far as the acting is concerned, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't mind that so much. But when I'd get sections of the board, they would trust me to do, and, and I'm very, very grateful for it, mind you. They'd trust me to do, like, huge action sequences, you know. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, um, it really allowed me to think about paring down in my style to meet that deadline. Mm-hmm. Everything was about that deadline in mm-hmm. animation, mm-hmm. you know. And um, some of those storyboards, those three-panel storyboards, would be around 300 pages thick because everything needs to be spelled out in an action sequence. Right, okay. You know, if a guy jumps across a room, banks left, and then, you know, dodges a bullet that's coming in from the left, all of that has to be spelled out so that when the overseas animation studio gets their hand on it, there's no guesswork. Right. What an incredible task. Yeah, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Just imagine one small little action sequence in one of those direct-to-video animated uh, movies and when the action guy gets his hand on it, that section, that two-minute section, could quite possibly be 150 pages long. Gee whiz! <laughs> you know, that's so insane. that's what I—that's what I ended up doing. Were these, these huge chunks of animation uh, uh, sequences, and that really allowed me to start thinking about getting faster, paring down my style so that it's legible and it reads exactly what I need it to be, okay. but still stylistically stay true to the stuff that I'm doing. I can't get away from that, even if I tried. You know. Okay. As it pertains to what you're talking about now with speed and the paring down of, of, of style and all that kind of stuff, yeah. there's, there's an artist that I heard speak, and he, he is a, uh, he's a fan, as you are and as we are, of Claire Windling. Yeah. And he was, he was referencing Claire, and he was referencing other animators. And, and one of the things that he says is, is he feels like animators are much better than regular comic guys at creating action in a static image. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because sure. of the animation background, all mm-hmm. the subtleties of body language and, and the ways that, ways that you stretch the form, 
mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, you guys are much better at creating action and, and, and implying the fluidity of action exactly. than, than, uh, than most comic guys are. Do you agree with that? And do you think, obviously, that, that your animation background helped you with that? Because you have that going on. Well, thank you very much. But I can only speak for myself. And I, I don't know. I think, for me, it worked out. You know, for me, it worked out that I that I knew exactly action-wise what I wanted it to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you understand fluid motion a whole lot better. Uh-huh. In animation, I know that this was hammered into me by Bruce Tim that it needs to read. You know, it it that silhouette needs to be really strong. That that you know that line of action, that pose, that whatever it is that you're doing, it needs to sell as that thing is the, the thing that you're doing. If a guy is punching, that's the easy one that everybody across the board can do. But if that guy is crying, you know, if that guy is sad, you it know what to, I mean. It needs to imply yeah sadness and, and being morose or whatever. Exactly, so, and you need yeah. to do that in as few lines as possible. And I think that's one of the things that I see in the in the stuff that uh, I see in the stands nowadays. It's so detail oriented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it loses track of what the whole point is. Thank God there's a word bubble telling me exactly how that guy feels because I wouldn't know. You know? Right, 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 right. So, yeah, I think that's the one thing that a lot of guys who do animation, who come into comics, they get, they get you know, ridden a lot because they're not detail-oriented, but, man, can they sell a story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I concur, I concur. You don't know it, right? And I didn't know this until I started doing animation. And it was taught to me by a friend of mine named Sam Liu, who's a director. Mm-hmm. There are, as an audience, we are expecting, on a subliminal level, the next shot. Mm-hmm. And when we don't get it, and that next shot isn't a specific shot. As a matter of fact, it can be as varied as ten shots, mm-hmm. you know? So it could be any one of those ten and we'll be satisfied. When we don't get it, suddenly our mind needs a half second, two seconds to recalibrate. You know, like, why ah. did we get that, right? Okay. And in particular, when you apply that to comics, right, now, because, you know, you only get that half second to, you know, to a second time to recalibrate because it's moving pictures. It's going on in front of you so quickly that you're on to the next scene, right? Mm-hmm. But in a particular case of comics, when it's panel-to-panel work and the guy can sit there and look at the image, and the very next image that you do, they go, I don't understand what just happened. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you failed as, an, as, a, as a storyteller. Yeah. Right. You know, when, when your audience can't follow along what you're trying to do, especially if they have the time to reassess exactly what you drew and they still have to sit there and go, oh, wait, what just happened? This guy just jumped from this side of the, you know, this side of the panel to that side of the panel. Mm-hmm. You failed terribly. Yeah. Storytelling, I don't care if it's in cinema or in comic, book, in comic books, is an immersive process. Mm-hmm. I want to take the reader, the audience, the whomever, and just kind of block off the outside world and make sure that I've got, I'm hand-holding him through the entire 22 pages or, in the case of movies, you know, hour and a half or however long it is. Right. And the moment I do something to kind of jolt them out of that and brings them back to their own mind where they go, what just happened? That's the real world. I don't want you there. Okay. I want you in the story that I'm trying to tell. Right. You know? right. So, and you do that very successfully. I think one of the things I like about your, your transition of your style from, if we, get, if we jump a little forward further into, into the End League, which is uh, one of the books you're going to be doing pretty soon, if you already... Mm-hmm. Probably first issue. Yeah, 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 exactly. The <laughs> um, difference between your style and Matt Broom's style is, is, is incredible. Wherein I like Matt Broom's illustration skills. I think he's a, a, a consummate illustrator. Right. Beautiful but, renderings. Beautiful renderings. But somewhere along the line, I think you do become too focused on the details and you miss the overall pacing of the picture. Sure. Conversely, with your, with your Iron Man, you can see right from the very beginning that, okay, this guy knows how to render very well. 
but he's pushing you through to the next sequence. And it's not like he's pushing you. It's like you're immediately immersed in the situation. Mm-hmm. Right on, right on. That, well, you guys cool. are giving that a whole lot more credit than it deserves. I swear to God, I was just playing averages. <laughs> no, dude. Come no. on now. <laughs> That's special. <laughs> but thank you, you guys. No, that really is my line of thinking. I just need to be sure that everything reads. There's things that register as the reader, uh, to the reader, where my characters are and where the story is going. Most importantly... If Rick, or in the particular case of Iron Man, if Joe Casey right. and, and End League, if Rick Remender writes it, mm-hmm. he needs to be in there. Right. You know, I don't skip anything that those guys write, or else what's what's the whole process? Right. I, mean, if I think it's if it's frivolous, you know, right. then I'll you know it's a conversation away. You know, okay. like hey, listen, I think I can accomplish that in this panel. Mm-hmm. You think that's cool? And those guys have been so great about trusting me about the shot selection that there's hardly ever st- any kind of static. But you're right. Sometimes we get caught up in the whole illustration process. I've mm-hmm. read their reaction to the fact that I'm taking over the end league, and a lot of those guys are, you know, the, the fans. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Matt style. Right. You know, I, I'm just hoping that I help along with the story. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. You right. know, I'm I'm contributing to this story more than I am to the over like, oh, what kind of mark can I leave as far as my stylistic mark is concerned? Eh, that's very that's so low on my list of priorities. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, it's, know, but I just want to I just want to service Rick's story. I'm doing it. Um let's not leapfrog over. I know we're talking we talked a little bit about it uh, about in league, but let's not leapfrog over uh Iron Man into the Mandarin. Right. Sure. And and obviously you said your relation was your relationship with Joe actually that got you to gig doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? That was a huge surprise for me to get an email from Joe because I remember on the way out of, uh, on the way out of comics, I thought I burned every bridge that I had with him, too, because we did a book called uh, Ladytron. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, my God, I was so late on that book. It wasn't even funny. It was embarrassing. Anybody else from the outside looking in who has any kind of experience under the belt, if they looked at the... My, the way I handled that, deadline-wise, and, and as far as especially as far as I, how I handle it professionally, that was a joke, man. And right. I just know that I burned Joe so bad on that um, that I didn't think I'd ever hear from that guy again. Well, I, I didn't think so. And then when he emailed me for for Iron Man, Joe was just like, "Oh, whatever, you know. If you're interested, I want to do this book." And I was like, "Oh, hell yeah, I'm interested. That's why I started this blog, you know." Right. Okay. But that time when you were doing Lady Tron, it was still a time and image when they were kind of not hitting deadlines anyway, right? Right. So you were just kind of like vibing off what they were doing. <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't want to ever use that. <laughs> right, right. It's an excuse, like, right? Lee, right. Even right. why I'm late because everybody is late. <laughs> right. you know? Why are you on my back, man? Right. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you talk to him? You know what I mean? Why are you producing so many damn Batman pages? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is hush anyway? Right. Yeah, exactly. What's that going to do for you? Stick with Wildcats. You know? Yeah. But uh, no, it's uh, really I couldn't use that as a crutch. Right, Again, right. it just surprised the hell out of me when Joe gave me a call or when he emailed for the first time. Are you interested? I was floored, and that was really I w- that was so humbling to me to think that there's a guy who still thought there was something relevant in the work that I was doing mm-hmm. that he'd want to work on a book like this. Right. Now, you know, I didn't know that the movie was coming out. I had no clue. So, but Joe did. <laughs> you didn't know at all? No. no oh, come I had on, no man. Idea. I, had no, I mean, I had been out of that loop of paying attention to what's cool for such a long time, man. Right, right. So when Joe, I mean, Joe did. Joe knew exactly. And I guess it, it, through his good graces and through his forward thinking and planning, did the, the, the book meet with as much success as it did. Okay. 
Eric, I, I mentioned to you when, again when we met you at SCAD that the, the, the Iron Man covers were, were something that I was ch- kind of checking for peripherally. They were hot. Yeah. yeah. But I wanted to ask about the uh, the Art Deco Nouveau, I guess. I don't know if that's the, yeah. the right way to describe the, it. The, the Club the, Nouveau, the, sir. The Club Nouveau. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's why you treat me so Deco. bad? <laughs> but, why, but why did you choose to do Art Deco style covers because yeah i haven't seen anything like that in any in any of your other sketches or commissions or anything else i've seen online why did you approach it with that in mind it was um you know i i got it's oh i know what it was because i was really sick of seeing the uh the greeting guys on the comic book covers that whenever i went to the comic book stores yeah the grimacing faces and, and all that kind of stuff yeah i just like all of the little you know, I don't know what it is. It, it doesn't speak badly about anyone's person in specific, and I don't even know if it's actually right to say that there's a lot of them that are out there, but that's the overall feeling that I get, that there was always some guy gritting and some guy was getting punched, you know? And it right. Just, <laughs> that's pretty it just, accurate. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, pretty I much pairs <laughs> it, it down to what be, it really is. <laughs> yeah, that might be spoken out of ignorance, though, because I really didn't check out too many comics, but the ones that I did see was just so underwhelming to me. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So, and that sounds really, really arrogant, and that's hardly the point. No, the point no, no, I mean... You know? Well, your interests are what they are, and what excites you is what, it's, is what excites you. And Thanks you, for you, empowering you, me, you guys. You, well, you know, let's, let's have a Tony for. Robbins moment right, right. here now. <laughs> you can <laughs> do it, Eric. Go ahead and be an asshole, Eric. <laughs> you go. Well, I mean, dude, I mean, seriously, I was in the comic shop, like, last week, dude, and I, I, yeah. went, I went there, and I found one title out of probably 150 freaking titles that interested me. Right. And maybe it's because I'm an old bastard, and maybe it's also because it of the fact that... It is because you're an old bastard. Well, thank you very much, Swain. <laughs> but it's also, be, it's also because of the fact that everything, everything there resembles, you know, what you're talking about. It's like it's always somebody grimacing and always somebody doing that, that ultimate action pose, which has been done 3,000 times before. Right. Oh, sure. Right, right. So, you know, sure, sure. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you had a different sensibility to it. We appreciate it. Well, thanks, man. You know, I think that's what... That was one of the first things that I thought about, is like, how is it going to stand out on the stands from everything else that's out there. And I think that's one, that was one of the major motivating factors to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Rocketeer. Rocketeer is one of my favorite oh, movies. Oh, yes, okay. sir. Yes, sir. Dave Stevens. So that's why I did that homage to it. And I, I got hung for that cover, man. They were like, how come what? you're not giving Dave Stevens enough credit on the cover for stealing it? I said, Dave, did, Dave Stevens didn't do that image, you douchebags. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at the promotional material that's, you know, that where I took that from, the Rocketeer poster specifically, Dave yeah. Stevens had nothing to do with that, sure, okay. the fact that he's the guy that created that character. Right, right, right. But so many people crashed down on that, and from there it just became like, oh yeah, wait until, you know, that's going to piss you, you off. Right, and check out the follow-ups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look what I, I can mean, do. Make you mad. I'll show you, you know. So every cover thereafter was, a, was like vibing off of that art Deco propaganda, most specifically this propaganda style. Yeah, you know, which I love the red yeah. scare, that mm-hmm, kind of a whole mm-hmm, deal. And mm-hmm. and I was going off of that, and you know, um, Dave Stewart just rendered the hell out of it. He so rocked it, sir. Yes, he did. So yeah, he just plussed it up so much, and and that's where that came from. Okay, Eric, a, a couple more things before we let you go, if if if, if it's cool. Sure. Your your blog, the name of your blog is not the same as the URL. The name of your blog is Discard. Yeah. Now, why do you call it Discard? Because i got a feeling there's a story behind this that we need to hear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, back when I was – everything that I was trying to do as far as getting that blog was concerned was based off of my buddy, this, this guy who was writing a book with me for Image, this guy named um, Jonathan Sway. Mm-hmm. Um, when I met John, he was telling me, you need to start getting your name out there. 
it's a lot easier to reach people these days because this blog, this blogging phenomenon is so mm-hmm. huge now. Mm-hmm. You just get three guys to come and look at it, and suddenly you're linked all over the place. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that, John. He's like, just trust me, you know. Just put whatever that's you know you want up there, and then just move on to the next thing, and just keep it updated. Just keep an online presence. And I took it, his words to heart, and I started putting stuff up there. But more than anything. It was just a way for me to get my ideas out on paper, get most specifically those 90-minute sketches that I was doing, mm-hmm. and then moving on. Because every single one that I put up, I, everything has been a learning experience. Like, oh, God, that hand really sucked. Mm, okay. You know? So I'm going to move on from that. And I think that's where the word discard comes from. It's just me, like, you know, I, I put it down on paper, then move on, you mm. know? Okay. I never okay. try to toil over one image more than another, and I think that what helps with that is the whole hour and a half process. Mm. Okay, now and now it, now let's talk about your hot ass ninety minute sketches. Yeah, and for those who have who haven't been to to Eric's blog, you've got to see the sketches that he does. You, you owe yourself to go there. Exactly. The, the, I mean, they're, they're all done in black and white. Yep. They're all he claims they're all done in ninety minutes. I'm you know I'm I'm going <laughs> to clock him at a convention one day and see. <laughs> And see, and see oh, if he can you, if he can make it happen. But no, clock, you know, call in and talk to any of those kids that I, I did a I did a little workshop over at SCAD, and those yeah. kids put a timer on me, and lo and behold, it was ninety minutes. Thank God. <sighs> Sweet. I wasn't going to be a liar in front of like educated kids. You know? <laughs> exactly, dude. I mean, they're but they're awesome, and I, they I, are. I I posted a comment on there that I mean, you're you're crushing some dudes twenty four hours with that, man. You really are. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, really, it's it's really really tremendous, and to mm-hmm. to to. To exude that kind of skill in that confined an amount of time mm-hmm. is incredible, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I mean, you, you you're doing the damn thing. You're sir. throwing down, sir. <laughs> as he would yeah, say. Yeah, well, I'm, I, there's well, obviously there's some that are a lot more successful than others, and I'm glad people are responding as positively as they have been to yeah. the ones that I have posted. Uh, but yeah, it's just really to try. It's my now. It's my morning warm up. Okay. Then it was okay. just preventing me from jumping off. Uh, Jumping off a really, really high building. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's cathartic at the same time. Yeah. Really. I mean, it was. I was. I can't speak about the project specifically, right. but I was just working on something that was just so mind-numbing. Okay. I could not stand being there, and there was a point in time when I was having a lot of uh, trouble at home. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, if you're not having, if you don't have peace at home, you know, peace at work, where are you going to go? You exactly. Know? Okay. okay. So I tried to find that thing that I was really, I was in, really in love with, and that was learning how to draw that way, mm-hmm. learning okay. to be more precise about the stuff that I was putting down on paper, and that was the first hour and a half that it took me uh, to get to lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I got into work around ten o'clock or so, maybe ten thirty, and an hour and a half later, I'd, I'd want to go grab lunch. I'm like, "Oh, look, I'm done, and lunchtime, great." <laughs> so, so at that time, when you do these, when you approach these sketches, are you doing? Are you looking at? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do uh, Power Man and Iron Fist today, or I'm going to do um, uh, Dark Seed and, and Orion today. Or are they commissions? Uh, actually, in some cases, right? Um, uh, what do you call it? When it first started off, it was whatever. You know, it's an hour and a half long, so that's that's about movie length, right? Okay, right. Yeah. So it was whatever I plugged into my portable DVD player. Okay. You know, okay. I'd plug something in and be like, okay, yeah, I'd want to draw that character. Okay. And that's cool. how it would start. Sometimes I'd finish it, sometimes I won't. If you look at the beginning part of the blog, you'll see all the stuff that's unfinished. But then as I got faster and faster at it and started to become more decisive about exactly what I wanted to see and what I wanted to draw, mm-hmm. then it, beca- it became more completed pieces. Okay. You know? And, and you mentioned uh, the the 90-minute sketches being like your, your morning warm-up. And, and I read your, your interview on charactersdesign.com. Mm-hmm. And, and in it, you kind of, I think it was in that one, you, where you kind of detailed your day. And this is this is for the boys and girls who are listening, 
who are budding and novice artists who want who want to be where the great Eric Kennedy is. Yeah. This this is what Eric Kennedy's day is like. Okay, you, you wake up in the morning. Yeah. You jump out of bed, look in the mirror. You say, "I'm Eric Kennedy, and I'm the bomb." Okay, and then <laughs> you, <laughs> you do your ninety minutes. You do your ninety minutes a sketch, and I think you even mentioned that sometimes you jog just to kind of kind of loosen up or whatever. Sure. You get to work ten ten thirty or whatever. It's dri- uh-huh. driving into Cartoon Network, right? Yep. Okay. Get to work. Work till about eight o'clock. Correct. Yep. Okay. Drive home. Yeah. And then work on whatever comic book you're working on from my, what I would presume to be 9 o'clock to, what, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning? Probably 1 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, and that's five, six, seven days a week? Probably six days a week. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's dedication, sir. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's, you know what, that's the extreme, though. That's the yeah. farthest end of that spectrum, only because I took on Iron Man and the, uh, the, the Ben 10 Alien 4 stuff at the same time. Okay, right. okay. Uh, well, before we part, man, I, I wanted to see if we could do like a quick uh, word association or name association with you. Because sure. uh, you, you, you've mentioned friends and you've mentioned influences and people that you admire and, and artists that you, uh, that you respect and, 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 uh, and, and geek out over like we geek out over your stuff. And I wanted to kind of throw a few things at you. And whatever word or, you know, first couple words or a short sentence, whatever, you, whatever your, your natural response is. Just man, that's a, that's, a, that's a landmine. All right. Well, we, we're going to walk on that landmine right, and we're right. going to see where, where it blows us. So. All righty. All right, starting out, uh, Lauren Montgomery. Uh, inspirational. Okay. Peter Chung. Um, teacher. Cool. Benoit Springer. Uh, uncredited. Dave, I agree, I concur. Uh, Bill Watterson. Bill Watterson. Um, I don't mention him enough, so whatever the word is for that. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Nolan. Oh, genius. Yes, I agree, I agree. Scotty Young. Scotty Young. Uh, whippersnapper. <laughs> I kid you not, man. That, that, that guy is integral for getting my work uh, known all throughout the different shows. I remember meeting Scotty for the first time in, in I think it was Chicago. Okay. And a- ever since then, Scotty has just been doing the greatest word of mouth advertising for my work ever. But okay. that guy's too young and too energetic and too damn talented. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he does do that, too. He is a promoter. I mean, he's a hell of a promoter. <laughs> oh, yeah. He really yeah, is. No, he's, he's, got, he's got the gift of gab, you yeah. know, but... But yeah, he's just too he's too powerful. You gotta <laughs> you, you, you cannot gotta stop him, him. You can only hope to contain him. Right? Yeah, exactly. Man. Exactly. He he's actually been a uh, uh, very instrumental in, in, in telling a lot of people about our show and mm. sending us, I mean, just note after note after note, just saying nice things and being helpful right, and, right. and and offering his help in any way. And and we consider him to be a brother, sir. So uh, right so, on, right so on. I, you know, I and I don't consider him anything short of that what you have described. And he's, he's an amazing, amazing individual. Right. And so very kind and giving, and I've never met, uh, only up until recently have I met as many kind people as him, but he was one of the first that has ever extended himself that way to me, where he'd give a phone call or try to, you know, try to keep touch, that kind of a thing. It's just scheduling has not allowed us to do it as often right. as we once did, but such right. a great guy. Cool, right. cool, cool. I've got, got a couple more. Then I have a sure. um, Claire Wendling. Claire Wendling. Oh, God, I've already said genius. <laughs> so I would have to say stylistically insidious. Okay. Ooh, oh, nice. I like that. Nice wordplay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alex Toth. Alex Toth. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's ephemeral. I think. I don't think I could. I don't think I could touch that guy. Okay. <laughs> and last but not cool. least is the uh, the aforementioned Glenn Murakami. 
Glenn Murakami. Uh, I'll do a voice. Uh, no, I shouldn't do that because I know he's gonna. <laughs> I know he's gonna end up listening to this podcast, and he'll just be like, "You son of a bitch." <laughs> well, hopefully so, and then maybe he'll talk to us. Dwight okay. actually has a couple he wants to throw at you too. Yeah, okay, here's another. Yeah, one. sure, man. Uh, Gail Ann Hurd. Gail Ann Hurd of of uh, Alien fame. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't have an opinion about that woman. The only thing I know about her is, is you know, everything I hear from DVD commentaries and the, the, the making ofs. But, okay. you know, I guess she must be a pretty smart lady to have so many successes under her belt, right? Sure. Right. Um, and last but certainly not least, uh, the Beauty and the Beast book that she did. Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, was that, that with was, Lauren? Yeah, that okay. was with Lauren. That was a learning experience. Okay. Okay. Learning experience is a good set of words for that. Okay. <laughs> cool. cool. It, has, it has a double entendre kind of a meaning. It can go one way or the other way. Right. Yeah. I learned a lot. I learned I may not do this again. Right, right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Lauren has, has handheld me through a lot of my difficulties in regards to drawing women. I could not draw them to save my life. Okay. And not to say that I can't draw them, I can draw them great now, but I think I'm closer. And oh, the closer yeah. I get, I guess the better I, I've become. So thanks to Lauren for doing that. Oh, well, we thank her too. You're doing a fine job, man. Seriously. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank serious, you si- serious, serious square business, as my father would say. Right. <laughs> Thanks, uh, guys. Before we go, man, uh, do you have a street date for the end league, your run, and when, it, when it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit stores? You know, um, they tell me that it sh- the first issue should be out by San Diego's time, which I'm sure is, is what do you call it, it's smart crazy. scheduling on their part. <laughs> Okay, but um, but I don't know if it will be. We're going as fast as we can on it. I'm working on something else for Dark Horse that's a little bit hush hush. So I can't even short of the fact that I, I'm telling you about it that much now. Um, uh, it's it's uh, I guess it's Leapfrog the End League, but just only for a week. Just by a week, and then I'm right back on that book again. Okay. Well, Eric Kennedy, man, thanks again for coming on with us. We appreciate you greatly. Um, Thank you, Dwight. Thank yeah, you. yeah. We, no problem, man. Best, best of luck with uh, with In League and, and with all your projects. I'm going to be following you from now on. So, definitely, uh, you got definitely. Two, you got two stalkers in your. Uh, well, I appreciate it, you on, guys. On, on, on your Thank heels, you baby. for everything. Okay, Great man. questions. Thank you for the kid gloves. Taking it easy on. <laughs> no, man, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and I got this is a tagline. I don't know if this is going to make it or not. Oh, here we go. <laughs> hey, hey. But is the world ready for the second coming of Eric Canetti? Oh, <laughs> is it the second or the third? Well, he keeps coming back, and that's a good thing. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully, right he's like the Energizer guy, Bunny. <laughs> yeah, in, the, in that Chris Arant interview, the guy titled it, uh, oh, Enter, enter. the Kinetti. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to enter the Kinetti. I know, right? <laughs> and I thought, wow, that sounds really cool. Because in my mind, I was like, Enter the Dragon, that kind of thing. Right, like, yeah, my yeah. My friends were like, that's not what we're thinking. Like, oh! <laughs> <laughs>